So, Nicolas Bonneau is again of Capital Inc. I'd like to welcome you all to the second panel of uh, today's uh, forum, uh, our decarbonization forum. And I have the pleasure of uh, uh, introducing you to uh, a terrific group of panelists who are going to tackle one of the most uh, immediate, I would say, and critical topics of the industry, the complexities around CII and uh, CEMP3. So without any further delay, I will turn over the floor to Douglas Wright, uh, who uh, from Lloyd's Register. He's a regional advisory service manager and Douglas is going to introduce uh, our esteemed panelists. I'd like to thank you all for joining us uh, and making this panel a great um, success. Thank you very much, Douglas. Yeah, thank you very much, Nicholas. Um, I'm delighted to be the moderator of this panel. And as you rightfully pointed out, the Ship Energy Efficiency Management Plan Part 3 is one of the pressing issues that ship owner operators will have to crack on with before the end of the year. So I work for Lloyd's Register and I'm joined by a very esteemed panel, as uh, Nicholas already mentioned. So in no order of particular importance, we have with us Captain Sachi Atmalingam, Global Director CHSE and Sustainability. Mr. Marco Fiori, uh, CEO Pramuda, and Theo Baltatis, uh, General Manager, Technomar Shipping, Michael Lavidas, Managing Director, Pantheon Tankers Management Limited, and last but not least, Lucas Barmparis, President of Safe Balkers. Um, before we uh, head into the, um, into the webinar proper, I think it might be interesting to set the stage for people listening and uh, watching this webinar who may not necessarily be fully uh, aware of what SEM3 and carbon intensity indicators is all about. So I'll just give a quick summary and then we'll head to the uh, Q&A with the panelists, which I'm sure will be very, very excited. So IMO introduced the Ship Energy Efficiency Management Plan Part 3, uh, mainly to ensure that the shipping industry has a strategic tool to meet and maintain and improve carbon intensity in the short term. The plan is very much designed to articulate a three-year strategy, 23, 24, 25, where ship operators will plot their carbon intensity based on previous IMO DCS data and execute a plan within the SEMP that will allow for the application of energy efficiency measures to maintain pace with a downward trajectory of CII reduction factors. Um, in 2023, data will be collected through the IMO data collection scheme, which will result eventually in the first year of all ships globally greater than 5,000 GT to be assigned a rating, an annual efficiency rating and basically ships will be categorized in uh, category A, B, C, D and E and a rating of A, B and C being acceptable, a rating and D and E being non-compliant. So if vessels operate at a D or an E rating, the ship energy efficiency management plan will then have to be updated with a corrective action plan that will allow the ship operator to demonstrate how they're gonna improve the D rating to a C rating or better over a period of three years. And for an E rated vessel, 
uh, it would have to do be done within a 12 month period. So that's kind of in a nutshell, uh, the descent regulations and the carbon intensity reduction factors that we will see play out in the next few years. And um, let's now turn to the, um, to the panel and ask the question, what will the implications be for shipping and how do you see it play out? And, and perhaps maybe I can start with uh, Michael and ask the very straightforward question to get the panel going. And that is really, why have the CII and AER measures been introduced to shipping? Michael, over to you. Uh, thank you, Douglas. Uh, and I would uh, say not much more than you already said that uh, the objective there is uh, for the owners, managers and operators uh, to uh, be facilitated in their strive for compliance uh, with uh, uh, the uh, required CII rating, uh, which, uh, as you mentioned, is uh, in a band of uh, starting from E, uh, uh, actually start worst is the E and the best is A, and C is uh, the midline of the C uh, band is actually the required. So uh, this is in order to uh, in a structured way, be able for us, uh, the ship operators, ship managers, uh, comply with the IMO set standards for reducing mainly uh, in the medium term the carbon intensity uh, by 40% by 2030, and uh, then in the longer term uh, by uh, 50, sorry, by 70% by 2050. And uh, I may even add that there is even a long-term and even much longer-term objective uh, to reduce it uh, by, uh, to reduce the carbon emissions by 50% in uh, 2100, which actually this is a long way to go. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, all of us, we need some help, and this is a way to do it in a structured way by applying uh, the CII, uh, the CII and the CEMP uh, part three. Uh, thank you very much, Michael. That's uh, very, very clear. Uh, I'm also kind of glad that you articulate very much that this is a very useful tool for shipping to do its part in reducing carbon intensity. So maybe Captain Sachi, um, as, a, as a, an esteemed member of the shipping community working for AE Tankers, uh, how, how do you um, work with SEM3 and your organization, if I may ask? Thank you. Uh, good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. Um, yeah, Douglas, such an important question. And Michael, you, you said uh, quite a bit of what that whole summary is all about. Well, for, for us, uh, in a simple way is that think big, uh, start now, do it in phases. So I think SAMP3 falls in, uh, if you go back, actually SAMP1, 2 came in earlier, gave quite a bit of direction to the shipping industry, ship owners, uh, how to operate uh, going forward, getting things that they, they weren't there before, you know, the, the mathematics behind it the tracking of it. So SAM3 basically up the game by getting ship owners to commit. 
uh, there is no wait and see anymore. Come 1st January 2023, game is on. So what we are doing is that firstly, you've got to have a team, a small team that's conversant with these regulations. It is not just going to happen. There's going to be active involvement of the ship owners uh, and the ship managers, even the crew on board need to be very clear as to what is expected from them. And you know, one of the things we need to remember out of shipping is that every minute, every hour, every day, 365 days, every ship emits and you got to get it right. Uh, and by reporting, uh, and I, I think Michael and yourself, Douglas, have given what this is all about, what's going to happen. For ourselves, we have actually lined up all our ships, looked at where they stand. Uh, there will be ship affected. The older ones, especially the pre-EEDI, and the nature and the profile of their business will be affected due to how the categorization takes place. Then you got to look at, uh, firstly, operationally, what you can do. The crew, the ship manager, the ship owner, the operation, the commercial operations team got to come around and make sure you know that every action that you're going to impose on the ship will have certain results and make sure your results are well optimized. And over 365 days, you get the, 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 the uh, result that you want. But failing which, uh, you're going to be dropping the ship down. There's going to be a, a lot more uh, risk. Now, the other part is that knowing that where your ship are, you'll be extremely happy if your ship is sitting higher than sea. But when you get down uh, to lower ends, you know that you are really putting yourself in the rabbit hole without any actions. So you need to look at potential capitals that you go to CAPEX, you have to put aside. Uh, you got to assign actions that you want, start talking to uh, your RO, your class, uh, start talking to uh, solutions that's available and put every ship need to have a plan, every ship. And I think uh, as Michael would say, this is just a start. I, I don't think post 2026 is gonna get any easier. So uh, think big, thank you. Yeah. That, that's excellent, Captain Satya. I, I think uh, from our experience with LR, when we started talking about SEM3 uh, quite a while ago now, a lot of owner operators were underestimating the challenge of SEM3, right? Where SEM part one and SEM part two were considered paper exercises. This one is actually having to have a lot more detail, a lot more responsibility, and a lot more strategic planning and it's dynamic because each year you have to review it based on your previous year's IMO DCS data. So thank you very much for, for, for providing that question. Now I, I, I have a question that will concern all panelists. And what is the impact of the CII AER requirements on shipping? And recognizing that I have a few very good excellent industry professionals here managing different ships. Can you add some color to where you feel your fleet might be challenged by the ever stringent uh, reduction criteria of carbon intensity in the years ahead? And perhaps, uh, uh, Theo, I can start with you. Yeah, sure. Thank you very much, uh, Douglas. It's really nice joining this panel. And of course, Michael and Captain Satsi gave uh, quite a color to the conversation. 
uh, allow me to add a little bit more uh, saying that uh, of course everything started back in 2018 when uh, IMO established the greenhouse uh, gas policy uh, of course after a lot of political pressure on shipping uh, I have to say with the experience going over for the last uh, few years regarding uh, the new regulations and coming up with uh, part three, SEMP part three, which is of course, it is the result of uh, part one, part two, and uh, let's say the direction that was given uh, by IMO uh, back in 2018. I have to say that uh, what uh, broadly is, is realized that uh, all of us are in the same boat. And I'm talking about uh, owners, managers, charters, and other stakeholders that uh, uh, brings us together uh, trying to have uh, a more efficient uh, operational uh, of uh, the international fleet uh, because definitely we do pollute uh, of course the target set earlier on are quite uh, ambitious i have to say and uh, coming back to what is going to be the effect uh, uh, on our fleet i have to say that for sure uh, it's going to be quite uh, dramatic regarding uh, the old type uh, of vessels. Uh, we are operating mainly uh, nearly 100 vessels, 75 of them are containers, and 25 are bulk carriers. Of course, uh, I have no particular experience on tankers, so I'm quite sure that somebody is going to highlight that. Uh, the tremendous pressure is coming uh, mainly from uh, uh, container vessels. Uh, charters, which are major charters, uh, they are a little bit skeptical about how they are going to move uh, in 2023. And uh, this is, uh, of course, that brings us together. And uh, start discussing uh, ESDs, start discussing operational parameters that uh, at the end of uh, 2023, we're going to have a substantial improvement of past performance, I would say, together. And I have to say that it is something new uh, in our uh, community that uh, the closer uh, we can see our uh, charters and customers are uh, this year, 2022. Uh, of course, also, we have to create a performance project uh, department uh, that was uh, from a couple of people end up to be 10 people now because we want uh, to be on top of the situation, on regulations, on implementation of uh, ESDs, and uh, whatever comes uh, next. So I think that uh, at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be to the benefit of the industry. And uh, of course, uh, the targets of IMO are very well respected. And uh, if we cannot maintain the target, any ship that cannot maintain the target, uh, it has to be scrapped. Thank you very much, uh, Theo. That's a very, um, very comprehensive answer there. So, so maybe moving on to uh, perhaps um, uh, Marco Fiori, can can you perhaps uh, share some views from your perspective? Yeah, you know, I'm um, as uh, Theo was saying. Uh, you know, this became very much a hot topic in, uh, in our industry, and uh, from from few people, we started having a lot of people looking into it. 
my my personal take of the whole thing is that more than how ships are built, there's going to be also a lot of emphasis how ships are utilized because it's a kind of an efficiency index. So I think that's going to be a very important thing, and that will have impact also on uh, on TC contracts, uh, for example. Uh, uh, capacity of being able to slow down speed if uh, certain uh, goals are not reached. So we'll have a kind of a, a broad impact. Uh, we have been focusing very much on the aspect of uh, how to utilize ships because uh, it is very much based on consumption and distance, all of this. And uh, the distance is also a very important thing and also uh, and, and also the consumption. So in theory, just to make a, if from what I understand, if you have a ship all the time idle in port, uh, probably it's going to have a much worse index of a ship that's moving cargo around the world because it's staying still and it's just moving and it's just uh, not moving and just uh, creating a CO2. So it is very much something that is going to impact how we're going to move ships around the world. Naturally, there's going to be an impact on uh, the new generation of ships, but this is such a broad topic and it's open. There are at least four or five systems that everybody's looking at. There is methanol, there is ammonia. So it is really far-fetched uh, solution on that front. I think that going forward, if we want to create some uh, really stable uh, environment going forward, it will have to be on the fact of also choosing kind of quickly, deciding which direction we should be going uh, on the future bunker of the world, because uh, this is impacting enormously new buildings. Today, as we speak, probably the best solution you can have is buying a modern uh, super eco ships, because this is still the best solution you have on uh, available. But I think we'll have to find new solutions for this. But what is, a, what is very important is that we have on this carbon index, intensity index on the CII, it is also how you utilize your ships, not only what kind of ships you have. And that's, I think, is something everybody will have to take into account. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marco. I think the emphasis on operational measures, right, which you're alluding to, can go a long way, right, to influence the, the carbon inten intensity of a ship. So, so moving on, perhaps, um, uh, Lucas, uh, you care to share some of your perspective, uh, please? Yes, uh, uh, thank you for uh, asking me. Uh, I mean, in Safe Bikers, we have uh, adopted a, a quite uh, pragmatic uh, approach, noting uh, all the parameters that we have. CII is a reality, the carbon, the carbon intensity index, as well as the reduction of it gradually. And uh, what we expect also is that there will be an additional reduction after 2026, which could be maybe not by 2% every year as the, the assumption is today. It could be 3 or 4% each year, which will bring uh, a greater push on uh, the performance of the vessels. And uh, of course, we all know that one uh, uh, one option to reduce or to control the CII is the uh, it operation and uh, we have noted that maybe even good ships can have a reduced uh, CII if they stay long in a, a, a somewhere in a, in a port <laughs> uh, because of any reason uh, and this is not corrected. Uh, of course you can do several things uh, in order to improve the operation with uh, let's say with hard uh, measures 
and such cut measures are uh, a, maybe low friction paints or maybe some ducts or fins, etc., etc. So there are things that you can do and improve uh, the CII. Uh, maybe I, I would say substantially, let's say by 10 to 15 percent. Uh, there are also other, uh, I mean, we, we also have a, a very substantial uh, a renewal program in Save Walker. So we are acquiring, I mean, we have ordered uh, in total 11 uh, phase three ships, which uh, can compete easily, at least, uh, let's say, for the following, say, 10 years or more uh, with uh, these uh, uh, new regulations, uh, noting that. Uh, most of the fleet, uh, about maybe 85% of the fleet, is not uh, even a phase uh, one. Maybe it is phase zero or uh, higher. So we are going towards a, a period after, let's say, 2026, where I believe that there will be a, a, there will be the most uh, the most pressure will be exercised to the ship owners um, that uh, will be in a position to to compete having, let's say, a younger and uh, more efficient uh, fleet uh, with these uh, investments. Uh, I believe that um, also that uh, there will be a, probably a, a selection between charters uh, of uh, ships that uh, will perform better and even ports. I mean, you may, I mean, you have, let's say, a category E ship or category E B ship, you may not be even able to, to go to certain ports. Uh, after 2026. So I think that uh, uh, there is a quite a pressure, the, a, a big pressure will be exercised. It's a, it's a nice game. You need to have a very uh, educated technical departments uh, to do monitoring uh, very uh, close. Uh, so I would say that uh, we need to, to see uh, measures implementing, which we do in all our dry documents, we implement uh, uh, energy efficiency measures, uh, and also uh, to, fo to be focused on our operational characteristics. But, I mean, I say, but as we have done also the last part, we have selected and invested in, in phase three. Now, a part of that, uh, after 2026, I think that the solution is a selection, as, as uh, uh, someone said before, a selection of the new fuel, because <laughs> without uh, better fuels, we cannot uh, really go forever, especially in older ships. Thank you. Yeah, I, I find it fascinating, Lucas, and I think the previous speakers alluded to that as well, right? There's only so far we can work on efficiency. Eventually, the game will be up, right? And the industry will have to embrace lower to zero carbon fuels if we are to succeed in, um, in um, meeting the IMO, um, you know, stated decarbonization goals. Um, uh, Captain Sachi, uh, would you also like to uh, opine about uh, what the impact is and perhaps maybe focus a little bit more on the tanker and perhaps gas carrier segment? Right. No, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I think pro probably one of the uh, misconceptions about shipping is that uh, people think that we have uh, ship owners, therefore we have this control over everything. Shipping is really a service industry uh, in much of it, and especially for tankers. Our, part, our role in the value chain is quite limited, carrying the cargo over. And therefore, this regulations that's coming in will need to have partnership. Yeah? For, from an owner's perspective, uh, uh, generically, uh, you have an investment risk. 
uh, if you're going to upgrade, um, where, where, how are you going to find your, your, your capex? And uh, you, you have a technical risk as what has been um, spoken about and all the external components, like you may choose to move towards certain types of fuels and you might end up uh, having this fuel becoming a lot more expensive than what you have planned. So all these risks uh, come about, but from a tanker perspective, I think the owners are clear. I think we are talking to the industry. We are talking to, we're very clear. But one of the position AET has taken much earlier than this is that we did see fuel being the game changer. Uh, because like you said, uh, Douglas, designs and uh, operations, it, it has to plateau somewhere, but you're not going to get your journey continued from there. So we have invested in uh, likes of the LNG dual fuel ships way back in 2017. We have recently committed to uh, going into ammonia fuel uh, for you know, looking at uh, zero emission uh, vessels going forward. And, uh, you know, and, and to my earlier statement, you can't do it in vacuum. We have to have partners coming in. We have to have customers coming in. And most importantly, in today's discussion, the financiers have to come in. You know, uh, and without the financiers taking this uh, uh, being, becoming a stage actor early and recognizing good ship owners to take position, very little things going to accelerate uh, from here on. Yeah, so that's that's our view. And uh, but as a as an owner here, uh, and like what all the other owners have said here is that we are fully committed. The industry is committed to move forward, but the regulations is sitting on uh, ship owners' shoulder. Uh, but ship owner alone will not be able to carry this responsibility going forward. Yeah, that's the point. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, Captain Sachi. Right? It is not a single stakeholder challenge. Right? It's a multi-stakeholder challenge. Everybody who plays into the maritime sector and has a stake into it, be it technology providers, be it infrastructure providers, fuel producers, financiers, yards everybody is impacted and together we need to find solutions and 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 get to a successful journey uh, that allows us to um to achieve the imo stated uh, ambitions uh michael perhaps you would like to opine us last of the um the crew here on this particular question uh, yes douglas i'll be happy to of course uh... Uh, we are running in um, our group uh, both uh, dry cargo vessels, uh, bulk carriers, uh, tankers uh, to a larger extent, and uh, LNG carriers. So from this point of view, I agree with uh, uh, what uh, both Lucas and uh, Sachi, unfortunately not containers, uh, Captain Sachi has mentioned. Uh, definitely the landscape in the tanker side is more demanding uh, than other segments. The charters are major in uh, can be major oil majors or uh, major oil traders. The demands are there. And to tell you frankly, we wouldn't expect uh, to get a mandatory IMO regulation in order to make our ships uh, uh, more efficient. We do it uh, regularly and uh, we are trying our best. The difference is that now uh, we have a benchmark that uh, we are to compare with. Previously, the benchmarking was done primarily by our charterers or sometimes even 
by our second-hand buyers because 80% uh, of our fleet is uh, built to our specification and only the rest of 20% is built is bought second-hand. So when we sell our ships, you can see the difference. But what I want to say is uh, efficiency can be uh, and uh, emission reduction or carbon reduction because emissions is not only carbon, of course, uh, can be uh, reached or uh, achieved by different means. One, of course, is the uh, new ships, the new buildings. Uh, I would say this is the most, the sure bet. Because don't forget that when you order a ship now, I think Captain Sachi mentioned something or Lucas before, uh, compared to a 15 year old vessel, uh, the optimized hull, the low friction or uh, the low friction uh, uh, paint and the fouling, or even the air lubrication system, soft generation, uh, <clears throat> energy saving devices and all other aspects can easily uh, reduce the emissions by 30%. So in order to give you a benchmarking, 30% is higher than having the same ship that we have now in the water uh, burning LNG, which is only 22 or 21. And mind you that this way we can achieve because we built the new ships uh, to reduce the emissions all the time. Because when you build a dual fuel ship, with all my respect to Captain Sachi, uh, you are you have the option of using the lower carbon fuel uh, fuel on board. And, and nowadays, for example, most of uh, of the owners uh, or operators or even charterers demand that we are using uh, liquid fuel fuel oil because the LNG is hugely expensive. So you understand the end result is that the emissions are not reduced. So that is a safe bet to have modern, up-to-date new ships. That's absolutely our recipe. The second one, of course, is uh, what you said, is to look into uh, uh, low carbon or carbon-free fuels uh, for those new ships. Uh, and uh, our favorite, uh, in addition to the LNG, which is definitely a medium term, reach, uh, for example, another 10 years or 15 maybe as a uh, as an option of uh, dual fuel is ammonia. The only bad thing with ammonia is that there are no engines yet built. And uh, to the best of our knowledge, the engine makers uh, that promise to have uh, developed the engines, they say for 2024, but these are all very small engines that they wouldn't do the job. We will need much bigger engines, and of course, not to mention the storage tanks that we will need for ammonia, because the energy concentration of ammonia compared to other uh, fuel options is very low, so you need huge tanks. To tell you frankly, technology has to help us, and when we talk for new technology and the huge capex uh, that is uh, needed there, uh, I would agree again with my fellow partner members, uh, sorry, panel members, that we need the help of everybody. First of all, of our charterers, that they want to show themselves that they have a long-term strategy by preferring to charter the new ships with a, a carbon-free or low-carbon uh, fuel options. 
uh, and of course the financiers. Uh, we have the Poseidon principle and we have other, uh, let's say, initiatives that they have also to look into. Uh, ESG, for example, is a part of it. Uh, and uh, so that they facilitate our efforts. Uh, in a nutshell, uh, in my opinion, even though uh, the 2030 is not far away from us. I think uh, with uh, relatively conventional measures, uh, most of us, uh, at least our group, we can reach without a, a major burden, not at all. After that, which is between shorter term to, uh, lo uh, to long term, yes, we need a lot of uh, uh, options which are not there yet. Uh, it may be some people say hydrogen that is far away from us. Some people say methanol is closer, but definitely we don't know the recipe yet. And mind you that there are now discussions in IMO and in all industry for uh, reducing the target for 2050 being zero carbon emissions, not 50% of the previous of 2008. So this will, uh, which the decision, if I'm not mistaken, will be taken sometime next year by the next MEPC meeting. Is that right, uh, Douglas? I'm not particularly aware of that's the case, okay. but, it, but it's certainly in discussions. In the MEPC 80, I think I mean, next year it will be taken. Right. That, is the, that is actually uh, yes. already written in the in the minutes, but of course may delay, but definitely by 2026 we will know. So in that case, the 2% that you mentioned, Lucas, uh, will be for sure at least 4. So well, frankly, 4% reduction every year. So what I want to say is uh, we cannot complain that we don't have challenges in front of us. If, if I may intervene and say, I mean, uh, agreeing with uh, Michael here, uh, I would say that uh, initially the LNG, the dual fuel LNG, could be, I mean, could have been a, a good solution because you say, I mean, I have a phase three vessel, 30%, and I have a, also, I'm using LNG, 18% more. So, I mean, it, it should be a very good vessel. Nowadays, first of all, if you go to well to wake, I mean, uh, there's a disaster. The second point is that uh, the uh, itself, the uh, LNG has a huge cost, uh, dual fuel LNG has a huge cost, and if you add up the, the cost of the LNG nowadays, it's a disaster. Uh, it, we have to move very quickly to new fuels because the modern vessels of today, let's say the phase three vessels, the phase two vessels, I mean, uh, the phase one even vessels, I mean, with some additions would be good, but uh, we need to select the final fuel. Uh, which will be where we will invest and we'll be able to, through maybe pilot projects, to have the ability to implement. Also, not to mention the worst part of the equation, which even if whatever we say, ammonia or methanol or any kind of fuel, right now all these fuels are not, are not green or blue, they are, they are completely uh, gray or black. Uh, because they are produced from, uh, and, and, and they may have a higher uh, emissions than uh, the ordinary uh, fuels that we are using. And the last comment that I want to mention, because uh, if uh, financiers are listening, the incentives that financiers are giving are uh, very marginal, uh, or uh, uh, I don't know, 
uh, I would say that you should agree on that. Uh, there's nothing really substantial on financing. We speak about Poseidon principles to achieve certain goals, but even if you achieve these goals, the benefit is marginal, so it doesn't make any actual sense. So only through, uh, uh, through funds that can be created and can transfer the benefit from uh, the non-polluting vessels or the non-emitting CO2 vessels, because CO2 is not a, it's not a pollution, uh, to uh, the benefit from, let's say, from the heavy CO2 emitting vessels to the new generation vessels, only in, in such a way this will be beneficial and will improve and will push the implementation of uh, the new technology and the new fuels. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I, I just wanted, I wanted to add something. I think that sometimes when I hear all these discussions, I think that we're losing a little bit the global picture, we're losing a little bit of practicality about the whole thing. We're just seeing one small moving part of a very complex uh, machine. We can solve also the problem with new fuels and ships and everything, but the whole system, logistic systems of the world has to be overhauled. So we need to have fueling and bunkering point for the new fuel in every port of the world. And if we talk about ammonia, they have to be refrigerated. But I don't think that sometimes people realize the scope and the, 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 the dimension of rechanging the whole logistical system of the world in order to allow ships being able to fuel in any part of the world. I think we are just one little piece about the whole thing, but there is a huge part that I think is not even being considered. I don't hear about the investment foreseen for creating storage tanks for methanol or ammonia in every port of the world where normally ships would be going. I haven't heard a lot about that debate. And we can have the most modern ships, like today, you know, who are shipped with scrubbers. They can't use uh, uh, heavy sulfur fuel in South America because there's no heavy sulfur fuel there. So it's of no use what they've been installing on their ships. So I think it's a global job that we're sometimes we're losing the dimension about how enormous it is and the financial cost of all of this is going to be entailing. Fascinating how many, uh, you know, uh, agreeable voices there are, right? Because we all understand the challenge of the complexities of how to marry up the demand and the supply side and get the overall infrastructure below that right in order for shipping to get the fuel that they need and for suppliers to have the security of the demand that they need, right? So it's very much a kind of a chicken and an egg situation, which we kind of found ourselves more than a decade ago when we discussed LNG as a fuel. But the good news is, of course, that we see a lot of industry consortiums, uh, decarbonization centers working on green corridor um, projects to kind of make that happen and bring everybody together that's critically important um i just got a, a question from the audience and i'm not sure if any of you can answer it but i will try my best i will read it out it says what is your view on private equity investments reference a base minimum of four billion swiss francs mezzanine structure twice a year on a specialized ESG shipping platform and a time horizon of 18 years. Does anybody know what this question pertains? No. 
look, I, I, I can understand the question. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, there might be such investments or, or someone that would like to invest uh, in a specialized platform, a platform as they say. Uh, but the question is, uh, uh, when you go to do an actual investment, you need to have the solutions. And uh, my comment is that, again, we go to the previous question that uh, nothing is yet developed. And uh, the second, and uh, when you have, and you need the technology to go ahead, because uh, when the transition, let's say, from the cars was happening uh, gr gr gradually, uh, the car manufacturers have produced <laughs> the new generation of cars. So you want, you could buy a car. But now we want, we're discussing between, uh, among us, a solution, but uh, uh, we, we need to have, let's say, uh, the engine manufacturer and the CPRs that have to prepare the new generation vessel in which we can invest. Uh, and one point again is that, as I said, uh, in, in terms of words, everybody's happy. Uh, banks are, let's say, saying we are doing green financing, but without any substantial component. And also, uh, many industry players, etc., uh, etc., et are willing very easily to say yes, we are first, but no one wants to invest. No one wants to pay. So this is a question: who pays at the end? Okay, that's a very good question, and it's a pertinent question that always haunts shipping for a very, very long time. I would suggest: uh, where does the money come from? Um, recognizing that we're getting close to the end of the webinar, I would like to give everybody a 30 second uh, elevator pitch opportunity of where you see the challenges and how optimistic are you that we as shipping will pull through in the short, medium and longer term. So perhaps from uh, left to right on my screen, uh, Michael, you go first. Uh, you're on mute. Michael. Sorry. Thank you, Douglas. Thank you. Uh, I have seen different uh, challenges. Uh, technology is uh, the number one for me when it comes to the new fuels. Uh, investments uh, needed is also a challenge uh, that I think many people are uh, aware and they try very much to address. But I would I would like to add something else. It is what I call the human factor. Uh, and the human factor is the competence of the people. Uh, when we talk for all these new fuels, uh, uh, carbon free or uh, carbon reduced, and the challenges that we have, and I have the benefit of the experience we have in our group with the different types of vessels that we have, uh, to burn a different type of uh, fuel is very, very challenging uh, for uh, the people on board and the safety concerns, etc. So I think we have to build a competence, a crew competence in a structural way to ensure the safety. When we talk for all these investments, for all these new fuels, for decarbonization or reduction of emissions in general by all different uh, pollutants, we need to also do it safely. That's what I want to say. This is very important for all of us. And shall I say something else? Crewing is still the biggest challenge that we are facing since many years back. Thank you. 
but overall you're optimistic right michael uh, what i can say <laughs> is that we managed to survive many different challenges recently the 2020 we had the, the uh, very low sulfur uh, fuels or the uh, super low ultra low we, we didn't have any big problems for the transition i am sure gradually with the years to come 2030 will be a very important year we will be able to do it thank you thank you uh, captain sachi thank you I, I think firstly don't wait for the perfect solution so the point we made about lng is that we took that uh, uh, leap of faith uh, and we moved on, and that, and and uh, in the macroeconomic world, not a single fuel can replace uh, the big, comfortable black liquid we've been uh, been serving the industry well. So we got to take that as a point. Two, there has to be an element of risk, and the risk cannot be sitting only in the ship owners' uh, uh, laps. I think all the industry, what we are hearing is that everyone is keen to address the climate crisis, and we have to come together, learn the new culture, how shipping is going to work. And I agree, uh, infrastructure investment, port turnarounds, uh, electrification are things that need to be addressed in tandem, constructively, together with improvements that has to be made on the ships and its operations. That's, that's uh, my, our call from here. Thank you. You are mute, Douglas. Um, Marco, uh, maybe perhaps you can uh, let us know how optimistic you are and what you see as the immediate um, milestones. Look, I'm very optimistic because I'm a strong believer in human ingenuity and a capacity to adapt. So certainly I'm very optimistic. But like I said before, it's not the effort of one group. This is really a group effort. And uh, every chain, the strength of a chain is determined by its weakest link. So either we all chip in together or it's going to be impossible to achieve. But I'm very, I'm very optimistic we'll get there, but really has to be, everybody has to put his own common sense and, and especially the financial cost is going to be enormous. So also that has to be really addressed very well because it cannot, you cannot rely just on one group of people, the owners who are going to be just fronting all the costs of this transition. That, that will never work for anybody. Thank you, Marco. Uh, Theo, next up. I'm uh, very optimistic about the future, uh, except of a few challenges that are, uh, that are ahead of us. The main one, of course, is the future fuel. And uh, if somebody could uh, answer this question today, I'm quite sure that uh, there would be an influx of uh, new buildings, uh, orders in the market and eventually change the whole picture of the market. Uh, of course, that, uh, uh, the, the good market as far as we are concerned right now uh, gives us hopes that we'll be able to survive uh, in the near future. But uh, moving forward, I'm quite sure that the CapEx uh, investments are going to be tremendous in order to comply with uh, the new regulations that are, I'm quite sure that they're coming. We haven't finished yet. This is uh, a, a next tsunami is going to come after four or five years, after 2026, when results are going to be on the table. But uh, shipping, as of course uh, Michael said earlier on, survive over 
harsh period of time with uh, no particular, uh, let's say, light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm quite sure we'll make it again. Wonderful. And then, Lucas, for you to uh, final thoughts and let us know how optimistic you are before we close the, uh, the webinar. Thank you, Douglas, and uh, for the nice uh, coordination that you have uh, already provided to us. Uh, we are, I'm optimistic for the short period. I'm a little bit concerned for the, for the longer period because the shorter period looks more controllable. I mean, because we need to achieve certain things in the longer period, in the, in the medium and to longer period, we need to achieve more things. We need to have uh, technology solutions. And I think one of the key important factors is whether the legislation will be stricter and will be implemented in a strict way, which will give push. But at the end of the day, technology has to give the, the end solution. Not Right now, we can do things, but after, let's say, four or five years from now, we cannot do many things. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Lucas. And thank you to all the panelists. Um, certainly, I thought it was a very engaging discussion. I see that there's a lot of optimism in the room, that shipping is resilient, and we will be doing our our best or putting our best foot forward to um, to support decarbonization trajectory in line with the Paris Accord. Final thoughts from me and a resonating conclusion that I can draw out of this. This is not a single shipping challenge. This is a stakeholder challenge where everybody has a responsibility to play into it, whether or not you're a charterer, owner, financier, yard, fuel supplier, infrastructure pro provider. And I think if we continue that, that open dialogue and shaking hands with newfound friends, perhaps we will be able to get there and meet the, um, the IMO decarbonization uh, stated goals and ambitions. So, with that, I thank everybody listening and watching this webinar, and I hope you found it a very engaging session. I certainly did. Thank you very much. Well, thank you from me as well, Douglas, for uh, the expert moderation, and thank you to uh, Michael, Captain Sachi, Marco, Theo, and Lucas for uh, sharing your insight. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thank you. We thank, thank you. you. We thank you. Thank you.